I want to begin by reminding you of something that something you might have seen in a movie. There's the movie Schindler's List. It is the uh, biographical sketch of a German industrialist, actually a member of the Nazi party, but who through his use of his own money and his own influence helped to save the lives of 1,200 Jews. He's the only person that was officially recognized as a member of the Nazi party, though, who is also recognized by the Jewish state as, as holy among the nations. The closing scenes of the movie feature Oscar Schindler asking the question, what more could I have done? He asks this question over and over again. What more could I have done? Could I have done more, he's asking again and again. He looks at his car and he says, this car, I could have sold this car and this, this would have saved 10 more people. This, this ring, this pin that I have, it, it, it's, it's gold. I could have sold it and, and saved two more people. What more could I have done? How many more could I have saved? Powerful questions, both of them. These are questions that, that I think about often. What more can I do? How many more could we reach? I would hope that all Christians, I would hope that all of us would think about this frequently, that it would come to our minds. What more can we do? Uh, how many more can we reach? Not what more can we do in regards to what more can we do to save ourselves? That is not a question worth asking because Jesus has done everything for us and we can do nothing to save ourselves. But, but beyond that, that, that step of, of salvation, what more could we do? This is, in many ways, the main entrance, interest of heaven. There's a small line in the book, Gospel Workers, in which uh, the, the statement is made, all heaven, all heaven is interested in the salvation of man. Oh, that we would be like John Welsh, a preacher from many years ago, who, who used to wake up in the night regularly to pray for the salvation of the community around him, that would, that would strive for the salvation of those around him. He felt such a great burden of souls that he, that he couldn't sleep, so he spent hours on end praying for people, trying to think of ways in which he could reach people. His wife actually said to him at one point, uh, John, you need to consider your own health. Stop uh, burning yourself out, but, but, but consider your own health and, and sleep. Sleep for your own sake. And he said, oh woman, I have the souls of 3,000 to answer for, and I know not how it is with them. What about those? He was the question, what more could I do? The question is an important question, especially if we're not asking it at all. When I ask that question to myself, or when we talk about it within our staff context, the answer often comes to our minds, or to my mind, of more work, more programs, better work, better programs, more people involved, more motivating sermons. All of these things are which are, are, are very good ideas. These are valuable ideas. But we've all faced this reality. Many of us have, have been to meetings, We've been to, to meetings at, at churches, we've been to meetings at other religious institutions where there is discussions about what more can we do. There's the question that's often asked of how can we stop losing our young people? Our young people, how can we stop losing our young people? These, these 
individuals that are of the highest and ultimate value to us. We, we ask this question because we love them, because we value them, but also because we recognize that if we continue, if they keep leaving, then we failed, then we've, we've missed the mark in some way. And these meetings talk about methods and, and ways to get them more involved. We talk about the need to, to give them leadership positions, to, to put them into positions of, of power, and then they'll stick around. We talk about new programs that we can set up to, 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 to help keep them in the church family. And then we realize at some point in the meetings, didn't we just have this discussion last year, last month, last week? And the year before that, and the year before that, I remember when I was in, in high school, uh, the first time I heard this discussion, I was a pretty new Christian, and I was sitting in the back of the fellowship hall at the Kettering Church, and they were having this discussion, and the discussion was about how do we keep our young people? And I was the only young person in the room. <laughs> it was an interesting discussion. I have the same conversations, we have the same conversations around the, the proverbial water cooler, so to speak, with people sitting around tables, with parents, with families, with friends. And we talk about things like the need for different kinds of music, we talk about the need for different styles of preaching. Ideas that, are, again, are useful and they have their place and they have their, their relevancy. Yet I find myself talking to colleagues and I find myself talking to friends and I find myself talking to family members that are, that are leaders in churches with this different style of music and these different styles of preaching. And guess what conversations they're having? How do we keep our young people? How do we keep our young people? We have meetings about how to get more members involved. How do we be more intentional about discipleship? And, and we, we put forth tools and resources to help people become better disciples. And, and, and we put forth tools and resources to help people overcome the bad habits in their life. How do we help people to eat better? How do we help people to exercise more? How do we help people to, to, to not watch things that they shouldn't watch on TV or on the internet? How do we help people to study their Bible more often? Tools and resources are introduced over and over and over again to address these issues, maybe some sinful struggles that we have. All within the context of the question of what more can we do? What more can we do about safety? This is something we're gonna be discussing at our next board meeting. I know it's something that's on many people's minds, especially in light of what happened in Texas uh, last week, and we wanna to remember to keep them in prayer and, and just many people that feel unsafe in this world. But, but we, have, we have discussions about security concerns in regards to our churches, our schools, our, our young people. All important discussions, but they're all answering the question of what more can we do to answer that question what more can we do but it may strike you as it strikes me that we have these discussions we have these questions and we put forth answers to the questions and then we look around and we say but what is actually happening what is actually happening what is changing? What is, what is different, really, in the, in the 
pure construct of things. It may strike you that, that, that if you think about it, when we say what more can we do, you may realize that the answer is we're doing everything. We are in many ways. When someone asks me what more can we do to, to work on this, what more can we do to work on this, sometimes I'm tempted to answer nothing. We can't do anything more. We're probably doing too much. There's some of you that feel like, man, I cannot take one more thing on my plate. If you come up with one more program, Pastor Chad, today, I am going to whoop you. Which then leads to the next question, the logical question we should be asking. Then why does it seem like there is such a lack of power in so much of what we are doing? Why does it seem like there's so much a lack of power in so much of what we're doing. I mentioned since high school, we've been having the conversation, how do we keep our young people? I think we were losing young people at a rate of 30% then, and now we're almost up to 60%. Every year we have the discussion, every year we lose more at a higher clip. How do we get more people involved? Every year we have the discussion, every year we have less people involved. How do we overcome these habits? Every year we have the discussion, every year we see the numbers that we are struggling more and more with deeper and deeper sins. What more can we do? Why do the same conversations happen at meetings, in the buildings to the north and the south of us? Why do, why do the same conversations happen individually? Why do we discuss the same things time and time again as a pastoral staff? And yet, in North America, there is very little changing, including the negative numbers that keep growing. We love Jesus. I don't doubt anybody's love for Jesus. We follow Jesus. We're being obedient to Jesus. We're making plans for Jesus. We are praying to Jesus. We are worshiping Jesus. And yet we seem in many ways to be powerless. There's a song I've heard the kids sing over at Spencerville Adventist Academy. You guys sung this before. Jesus, you're my superhero. Yeah, they know that song. Jesus, you're my superhero. I'd start to lead it to you, but one time I actually started to lead you guys in a song like two years ago, and some people out here asked me to never do that again. Can you believe it? But the lyrics are, Jesus, you're my superhero. Yeah, it's you, Mark. I see you there. You're my superhero. You're my star. You're my best friend. Jesus, you're my superhero. You're my star. You're my best friend. Better than Spider-Man. Better than Who? Superman and Batman, and they have all kinds of other ones they say in there, but I don't know any of the rest of them, so I'm going to end with those three. But better than anyone. But two weeks ago, I was studying something in the scriptures, and I realized <clears throat> that we can have Jesus, we can have salvation, and we can have none of his superpowers. None of his power at all. Jesus, salvation, no power. Our young people can sing. Jesus, you're my superhero. You're my best friend. You're the star. You're better than Superman and Spider-Man and Batman. And yet they can go to church every day and not see any evidence of it, even if the people in that building love Jesus. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. 
Acts chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse 9. The book of Acts, go about three-fourths of the way into the Bible. Acts chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And of course, the Bible's in the pew rack in front of you, or you can look on your phones or your tablets. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. And the Bible reads, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. This man amazed the people of Samaria. And they said that he, and he, and he said about himself that he was somebody great. He said, man, I'm, I'm amazing. I am somebody great. And all the people in Samaria paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, Philip was a follower of Jesus and he came to the town. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself, even this man who referred to himself as great, and even the man who people were amazed by, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, Simon was amazed. Let me pause to say this and recognize this. There are things that happen in this world that are amazing. There are things that happen within the church that are amazing, and yet those things might have nothing to do with the power of God. They might have nothing to do with the power of God. When the power of God actually shows up, even the most cynical, even the most powerful, even those who are amazing everybody else, they too will be amazed by the things that they see from God. Simon was doing things and people were like saying, man, this guy is great. He said about himself, I'm amazing, I'm great. And when he saw the real power of God, he said, now that actually is amazing. Even he was amazed. But that's not the focus of this text that I want us to see. It is in the next three verses that I want us to, to see what is amazing and stunning to me as I was reading. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down from Jerusalem and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, any of those in Samaria. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you, did you see, did you hear that? I mean, it almost sounds to me, when I first read it, I read through it and then I came back to it, because it almost sounds blasphemous. Peter and John prayed for these people. They came to the city. They came to this area. They, they, they pray for these people. They realize that these people have accepted Jesus. They believe Jesus. They're now followers of Jesus. They love Jesus. They understand the truth of Jesus. And, but, they, but they see something missing. And the Bible says they pray for these people that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only... That seems like an out-of-place word in regards to this statement. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, think about that statement. Someone's baptized, Christian was baptized today. I mean, none of you would ever do this because you're all proper. But I mean, think about it. if one of you went up to him and said, well, I'm glad for your baptism, but it was only in the name of Jesus. 
I mean, you go, really? You're going to say that? Now, of course, there's context to the way they were saying this. But, but, but here they come and they say, we see all these people, and yet we still see there is a void. What, when I read this text, I realized we can have Jesus, we can have salvation, and there can still be a void of something in our lives. There can still be something missing. This is what it's saying. It's not because Jesus is not enough for salvation. That is not what this is speaking of. Jesus is enough. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has, has paid the price, has, has won the day for your salvation. But we can love Jesus and we can follow Jesus and we can, we can plan for Jesus and we can work for Jesus and we can still be missing something. These people were not lacking in salvation. What they were lacking in is the superhero power of Jesus, the supernatural power of Jesus. They were lacking in another level of power, a power that we saw in the previous verses was able to do signs and miracles and do so many things that even the most amazing amongst them were amazed by this. They were lacking a power to really answer the question of what more can we do? Without the Holy Spirit, that answer seems to be not a whole lot of anything. Why is it so important for us to have the Holy Spirit? What is this larger power that, that we can tap into? Jesus is the one that taught us and gave us insight into our great need for the Holy Spirit. Some of us live right now in a world in which there is no comfort. There, there are individuals that are, that, are, that are more emotionally affected by some of the craziness in the world and maybe others, some don't understand it as much, but, but I talk to people every day who are living in fear. Last week I was in a church and the kid up front prayed, this was in New York City, the kid up front prayed, please dear God, protect us from all bombs. I mean, that's, that's the world we live in where little kids during children's story feel the need to pray, protect us from the bombs. Of course, it was there in New York City just a few days after, of course, their most recent attack. This is the world we live in. I had a friend write me and say, Chad, I, am, I, I do not know how to cope with what is taking place in the world. They're looking for comfort. The Bible calls, tells us that, that there is this individual, the Holy Spirit, is the comforter. Right? That's, that's one of his titles. Is he's the comforter. He brings a power of comfort with him that is beyond our grasp. The Bible teaches us in the book of John chapter 14 that, that, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. In other words, if we struggle with understanding truth, we struggle with understanding uh, what is right, what is God is trying to teach us and guide us, the Bible says that the power to understand that truth comes through the Holy Spirit. We need this power to really understand truth. As much as it's being taught to young people through various means, as much as it's even being taught to old people, truth is not relative to what you or I think. The truth is based on the guidance and the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. When we ask the questions, how do we keep our young people? How do we get more people involved? How do we do this? How do we do that? The Bible also tells us that, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will teach you how many things? All things. He will teach you all things. Not a few things, not an occasional thing. He will teach you all things. 
He will guide and direct you and teach you all things. Some of you may say, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of struggling with sin. I just want to have the power to, to overcome sin in my life. I'm so tired of struggling. I want to be victorious. We read a statement like in the book of John that says, if you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments. And man, that text is a beautiful text, but it's not beautiful just because of that phrase. Some of us have been burdened by that text. We've read that text and we said, man, I look at my life and I'm not keeping this commandment. I'm not keeping this commandment. I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. If you love me, keep my commandments. If ever you come across a text like that in which you're saying, now I just feel like I got to go work my tail off. Just pause and keep reading because Jesus has an answer. Sometimes some people stop at that text. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus says this to the disciples and we say, yes, we want to keep your commandments. But how? Just keep reading. Jesus gives us the answer. He says in the very next line, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. What's that helper going to help you with? You keeping the commandments. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That text makes sense, right? The Holy Spirit is the power to help us keep God's commandments. He gives us the power. We need that power. And I love that the text, that that verse then ends with, he will send us another helper to be with us for two days, and then you have to pass him on. No, that's not what it says. He will be with us forever. Not this week, not next week, not, not for a couple of months, not till you have it figured out. He will be with you forever. And then, of course, for my evangelistic heart, one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And Jesus said this to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit, what? comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth and even to our young people. Even to our young people. We will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. If we are doing everything we can possibly think of, brothers and sisters, if we are making programs and plans and strategies and still we're seeing the same things, could the answer be that we have Jesus, but we lack his power because we've not been fully baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit? Could the answer be that? I'm not saying that we, that we abandon the planning and the programming and those things, but we have to ask this question. Peter and John came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for that had not fallen upon them yet because they realized that they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, what the scriptures teach us is we are baptized in the name of Jesus for salvation, but then to go out and to change the world and to do powerful things in such a way that the Son of God is glorified throughout all the world in a way that you and I could never do on our own, we must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. It's not going to be through our own ingenuity. Jesus, I love you. I want to obey you. Be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I need more comfort. I need the power of comfort in my life and peace in my life. 
receive the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I need you to teach me how to deal with my kids. Jesus, I need you to teach me how to live a better life. Jesus, I need you to, you to teach me how to, how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife to my, to my spouse. The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I need you to teach me how to reach just one more. The power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying anyone, I'm not in this case taking anyone's salvation away. I'm not saying someone doesn't love Jesus. I'm asking us to ponder. Do we have a power in our midst that blows our minds? Or is it same from week to week, month to month, year to year. As I read this story here in the book of Acts and as I read the book of Acts and other places in the scriptures, I see something. The primary way in the scriptures time and time again that people receive the power of the Holy Spirit is through this thing that we all have access to, that we all understand, that we've all participated in, this thing called prayer. Over and over again. Go home today before you come back for Evensong. Go home today and read through the book of Acts and see how many times the Holy Spirit's reference is falling on people and how closely within immediate verses around it, within the immediate context, the word prayer is referenced within that context. And something else I notice as I, as I read through the book of Acts and, 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 and it gives us a picture about the Holy Spirit coming upon the church is I read over and over and over and over again that that. that It's not just us praying for ourselves, but time and time again, it seems like a person receives the Holy Spirit when they are in communion and prayer with others, with someone else, not just by themselves. Almost all your stories are gonna be someone prayed for someone and the Holy Spirit uh, came upon them. They were in a house praying together and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They called the, the brothers and, and, and to, to, to pray over them and the Holy Spirit came upon them time and time again. For all the planning and great things that are happening within our church and, and within the world church and I believe great things are happening and I believe that God is working but I believe it could be go to a whole new lever, level if his power will be poured out in full, all the new things we have done here at this church and beyond. We've been asking the question, what more can we do? And we answer that question with more and more things, but the reality is that sometimes we may have to step back and say, but have we prayed enough? Have we prayed enough? Jesus said, whatever you ask for in my name, I will give it to you. I will ask the Father to give it to you that the Son may be glorified, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is something we need to to pray about and think about. This doesn't mean that we stop planning, that we stop programming. We actually have a meeting this Tuesday as a staff. We're going off site for a day and we're going to spend ideas talking about strategy and different things. And man, I love doing things like this. I mean, I love strategizing. I love planning. I love people coming up with ideas and us sitting around. I mean, put a whiteboard in front of me with people writing things on that board, and I get excited. I, get, I actually like meetings. I know some of you hate meetings, but I like meetings. I'm weird like that. I actually like meetings. And I'm one of these people, I think you all know this by now, I love change. I know some of you are really worried right now. Oh, no, they're meeting together, and he just said he loves change. Don't worry. 
I love things like that. But I have to ask myself, I have to look at my own heart and say, am I truly anointed with the Holy Spirit in the way that God would call me to be? Dwight Nelson once said, and I like this quote, and I don't even know what these next few words mean, but I like it anyways. We have namby-pambied, if you, someone can translate that for me later. We have namby-pambied our spiritual way for decades. Surely this is the right time for the Seventh-day Adventist Church to take utterly seriously God's call for revival and reformation. On our knees, with Bibles in hand, shall we not band together to militantly plead for the divine outpouring that alone can reach seven billion human beings. Seven billion human beings. So if you are like me, and you find yourself asking the question, what more can I do about anything? What more can I do about the sin in my life? What more can I do about the, uh, the, my kids? What can, more can I do in regards to my, my marriage relationship? What more can I do in regards to my health? What more can I do in regards to being a witness? What more can I do as a teacher? What more can I do as a pastor, as a leader? What more can I do in my business? Can I invite you to do just one more thing? Just one more thing, that we will commit to praying in a new way. We know this is the thing, but will we commit to it in a new way? The last six weeks, we've been uh, gathering together for prayer. We've been doing a little series called uh, If My People Pray. There's only been 10 or 12 of us, but it's been such a blessing to my heart and I have to acknowledge to all of you that, that I wasn't making this prayer gathering a priority. I was sitting across from Tim, Tim Lale about eight weeks ago or nine weeks ago, and Tim Lale is our new prayer leader, and he was sitting across from me, and I was saying, well, what can we do uh, to help you with the prayer ministries, and what can we do to, to, to help encourage you? And in Tim Lale's kind and gentle way, I love him. He's a kind and gentle soul. And at least with me, he's never been anything but. But he sat there, he goes, well, you know, it'd just be, be nice if like we had uh, a full support of the pastors and, and, and they were showing up and that'd be nice. And then he just moved on to the next thing. And I was the only pastor sitting anywhere in sight. So I think I, I knew who he was talking to. So I told Christina and I, I made a commitment in my own heart, I'm gonna make this a priority. And when I've been in town, I've made sure I'm there at the prayer gathering. There's only, like I said, about six or, or 10 or 12 of us that have been meeting, but it's wonderful. This Tuesday, we're actually starting a new thing of 40 days of prayer. We have a, a, a nice little book and it's, there's a short videos part to it and then we're gonna spend about half hour or so praying each evening together. And you're welcome to join us for that. That's Tuesdays at seven. We'd love to have you join us. But I, but I believe prayer can, prayer can happen anywhere, but I think that we do need to commit to, to praying together in community more. Whether you come here or maybe, maybe you, you wanna pray with, with a group of friends somewhere else, uh, we also would love to see prayer groups rise up in communities, and on the back of your connection card, there is an opportunity for you to say, hey, I'd love to host a group of people coming to my house to pray every week. I'd be glad to do that. Some of you have said to us, well, I can't do Tuesdays, or it's hard for me to get there by seven o'clock from where I work. Hey, maybe you wanna do something else, and we'd glad to have you do that. If you take out your connection card, you could let us know about that. 
Maybe you can't do that even. Maybe, though, you could commit to this, at least two or three, contacting at least two or three other people and saying, you know what, let's make a covenant between the three of us, between the two of us, that, that we will pray for one another every week and we will pray for God's work within the Spencerville Church, within the larger community every single week. That's another thing you could let us know on your connection card. Maybe you say, we wanna follow along with the 40 days of prayer, but, but we can't make it, but we're gonna commit to being together on the phone or we're gonna commit to meeting together, just two or three of us. Can we get that resource? We'll be happy to share that resource with you as well. I just want us to make the commitment to say, look, we're making plans. We're gonna make plans on Tuesday. We're making, uh, we, we program. We have all kinds of things coming up. We have this church property that, that we're, we're discussing Let's be mindful to be more committed community-wide to praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. For the power of the Holy Spirit. That he will do something in our midst that we will be amazed to the point that we say, how on earth did this ever happen? How on earth could this ever happen? I want to leave you with a statement from Ellen White which has another little thing that seems almost uh, blasphemous the way it sounds in her, thing, in her statement, but it's just powerful. Desire of Ages, page 672. Christ has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church, and the promise belongs to us as much as to the first disciples. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, awaits, listen to this, their demand and reception this promised blessing claimed by faith brings all other blessings in its train. The power of the Holy Spirit, God is, is, is desirous to, to give it to us. And Ellen White here says we should demand it. Say, God, you've promised this. Now we expect to see it. God, pour it out in full and then let us be truly ready to receive it. Can we commit to that as a church family? as we plan, as we program, as we say, what more can we do? One more thing. Let us be more committed to praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that salvation is through no other means but by grace. And even as we talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's through no other means but by your grace. We, we simply have to be, as we are with you, Jesus, we have to be ready to receive that power. And so I pray, Lord, that you will raise up a band of prayer warriors in this church so mighty, so powerful, that, that, that this community will know we are here, not by the wonderful children's programs we have, not by the wonderful music that we have, not by our beautiful stained glass windows, but the, the community will know we are here because this is a place where lives are being transformed. Jesus, there's people even here in this room right now who are struggling with things some I'm aware of and some I'm unaware of that are beyond my comprehension of how on earth they're going to be solved. God, I pray for your power to pour out upon them, do miracles in our midst. Lord, I pray that you will teach us, that you will comfort us, that you will lead us into all truth. Lord, may we commit to being a community of prayer, individually and corporately. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.